Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. And we're on a journey to improve our marriage, our family, our faith, our fitness, well, just about everything. Along the way, we might accidentally give a tiny bit of solid advice, so join us as we chat each week. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Love Podcast. Hey guys, today we're so excited to have Charlie Getz on the Fools in Love Podcast. Charlie is the Director of Investment Strategies at Holvik & Associates. It's a fiduciary planning firm based in Fenton, Michigan. Thank you so much for joining us, Charlie. Oh, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Charlie and I have actually known each other since, I believe, middle school. But wow, I I just can't believe that's right. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, if my memory serves me correctly, we probably met on the playground playing basketball. Uh, more than likely, and, <laughs> oh, that sounds uh, right. You know, it's it's probably been easily twenty five years since you know we've known each other. Gosh, that is amazing. That is so amazing. But I just wanted to introduce our audience because I mean, obviously, we grew up together. As you said, we played sports together. So I knew, like, when we wanted to do an episode in this financial space, we just we knew who to reach out to. Absolutely. And obviously, you and I have been following each other on Facebook and other social media platforms. So really, uh, I got to say behind the scenes, you guys were a little bit of an inspiration just knowing that some folks that I grew up with, you know, had the courage to get out there and start talking about some important topics. So it's, it's really been a breath of fresh air to see other folks taking this route with the podcast, YouTube and other social media outlets. Aw, thank you. We feel the same about you every time. We're like, oh, Charlie's doing a live. How cool is that? (laughs) Right on. (laughs) All right. So before we really get started in the episode, can you tell us just a little bit about what you do and how you even ended up in finance? Yeah. So uh, I consider it somewhat interesting. Uh, You know, our our listeners may not, but, you know, uh, I'm the director of investment strategies here at Holvick and Associates. We're a fiduciary-based firm based in Fenton, Michigan. And I guess my personal story uh, goes back probably about 12 years. So after high school, you know, graduated with Brandon, and then I got the opportunity to play basketball at a small school on the west side of Michigan, Kalamazoo College. Graduated in 2007 and came home to work for a family business, you know, family business being mom, dad, four older brothers, and an older sister, along with a couple hundred employees. We were in automotive, as you know, most Michigan-based companies have some sort of footprint in automotive. And right about that time, we're looking at the winter of 2008, so January, February. And if you guys remember it the same way I do, it wasn't the best time to be in automotive in, in uh, the state of Michigan. Right. So, uh, unfortunately, our family business did end up becoming a statistic, and we ended up having to close our doors. At that time, you know, I really took the opportunity to look at other avenues. I had studied economics and political science at school. And so, you know, the whole spacely sprockets, pushing automotive parts really wasn't something I was passionate about. So at the time, I took the opportunity to go work with my current partner, Gary Holvick. And he really took me under his wing as my mentor. To this day, we're still very close partners in our firm. At the time, I started training in fall of October of 2008. And again, if you remember this the same way I do, it, it now wasn't the time to be in financial planning as well. <laughs> right. the, market, 
The market's dropping a thousand points a day. We're in the middle of the largest recession we've experienced since the Great Depression in the 20s. And luckily at the time, I'm 22 years old. I really don't understand the ramifications of all this. All I know is I'm excited to be in a new industry and start a new career. Fast forward 12 years later, it couldn't have been a more perfect fit. I've had the opportunity to not only build my own practice, working primarily with privately held businesses, positions, a few athletes sprinkled in here and there, but I've also had the opportunity to recruit and develop other advisors. So 12 years into the business, I'm still extremely excited every day to come in. I love the opportunities of working with folks on how to manage a business more effectively, how to save money away from that business, and most importantly, how do I transition this thing when I want to and rather than I have to. So wow. I guess that's my short synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's amazing to hear, really, because I promise that, and you could answer this directly, but thinking back to that time when all that was happening, and obviously not a very good time for your family or the family business to have all that happen. But I promise back then you would have never thought that you would have had the opportunity and the experience that you've had to grow now being in this whole new place and this whole new field. I mean, just hearing your journey, sometimes we unfortunately get pushed into things, but if you're willing to lean in and kind of ride the wave and figure out where it takes you, it's just amazing to hear where, where you can be. Absolutely. Right. Every, every problem is an opportunity in disguise. You know, at, at the time, there were definitely some, some quiet dinners at the, at the family table. But looking back, it really helped mold my whole career so far. And I, it probably um, really speaks to why I am passionate working with family or privately held businesses. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I think money really is one of those things that many people really don't feel comfortable discussing. And sometimes I know that can even be true within our own families. And I think as a result, many of us grow up confused about making money, saving money, spending money. And we go to school or we start working and suddenly we're just trying to figure it all out on our own. And what we want to ask is, do you have any tips for someone who's just starting out and how they should be handling their own money by themselves for the very first time? Absolutely. So Really, I find there's kind of three segments of people to address your question. The first segment is they kind of have a budget, but they make more money than their bills. And so they really don't have it narrowed down. You know, they're making $50,000, a year. They've kept their bills pretty low. And so there's not a whole lot of anxiety around cash flow planning. I, I personally believe that having a good understanding of income and outflow is the best place for anyone to start. Because if you have more money than you need for your bills, life's pretty good. You don't know where the leakage is. All you know is bills are paid and you've got a couple bucks in your pocket to go have fun. So that's one demographic. The second one is the complete opposite, which is my bills are more than my income. And every single month is a complete uh, nightmare on how do I stay afloat? Where am I finding my next dollar? How am I just keeping my lifestyle going? The third are folks that decide that they're going to be, they're going to have a budget or a cash flow plan on purpose, meaning 
you have a certain amount of income, you want a certain amount of expense ratio, you want a certain amount of savings, and then you decide how much fun you're going to have on a regular basis. And so most everyone falls into one of those three categories. But the point being is having a good understanding of how your income works, the timing of your bills, and how much, and are you going to save money first, or are you going to save money on accident? Just meaning, do you have a planned approach to how you save money? I think that would be my uh, a good jump off point for someone that's just starting a career, just getting out on their own, and trying to figure out how to be responsible with their income, you know, without just letting it kind of take over their life. Right. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So let's talk about these early years a little bit. One of the biggest life changes in our age group right now is obviously getting married. And one thing we've noticed in just talking with other couples is that everyone seems to have a slightly different approach to handling the combining of incomes. We Mm -hmm. personally, we were just so young and so broke when we started out that we never really thought much about it. We opened a bank account when we got engaged and that was just kind of it. But most people today are not getting married when they're 23 and a week out of college like we did. (laughs) What's the best way to go about combining incomes? So there's a couple different ways to look at this. And I don't want to pretend that uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. Some people really thrive with having separate finances, just meaning that you you may each have your own bank account. You may divide the household bills and lifestyle up based on different income levels. And then conversely, you may end up putting everything in one single pot, right? Where everything comes into one joint account and you guys just, someone's in charge of the inflow, someone's in charge of the outflow, and you just manage it as a team. From a tax standpoint, that's a whole different ballgame. We could definitely have a whole other podcast just on, do you file jointly? Do you file separately? Do you do some combination of the two? I think it really comes down to a math question, though, of what are your goals around taxes? Do you like having a significant amount of deductions? Or are you really trying to create tax-free income on the back end of things by paying more tax today? So uh, although I don't have a very targeted answer there, I do believe that there is a behavioral finance answer, and that is transparency, right? Making sure that a couple is on the same page as far as what are your benefits through work, what are all the ancillary um, options that are offered, and how much money do you guys really have to work with for both lifestyle, fixed, fixed liabilities, and then fun. So transparency is always key when talking about when to combine or how to combine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because we talk to a lot of people and me and Megan are kind of in the boat with our own finances where we we take the approach, like you said, of just we're putting everything in the same bucket. But we hear a lot of like younger couples and a lot of people that they will keep it separately. But I always do question that transparency issue because like, how do we really know? Because what I find happening a lot of times is maybe something happens, unfortunately, to the husband or something happens in the marriage. And then one or the other spouses just don't have a clue of where they stand financially. And I feel like it's important to at least have that conversation and have a plan because you don't want to ever be in the place where you're just kind of left with your hands up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, being married for the last 
uh, five or six years now and having a little one at the house, I understand my wife needs her target fund. She needs her <laughs> um, primp and pamper fund, right? I yes, get that. Does. And I have no issues with it. But at the same time, and as, and as a husband, I need to have my guys night fund. I need to have my uh, overly obsessive sneaker fund. But at the end of the day, transparency in the relationship is really what's going to cause the success. So I believe that the three of us are definitely on the same page there. Right, right. So let's kind of change gears here for a minute. And I want to talk to you a little bit about student loan and student loan debt, because it seems like it's such a big topic today. I don't know how many trillions of dollars it's we talk about in the news that this debt has grown to, but it seems to constantly be all over social media where people are talking about student loans. So we both had student loans and sometimes it seems like the one thing we'll just never be free of. I mean, by the time ours are paid off, we'll need to (laughs) send our kids off to school. And we just want to know what are your thoughts on student loans? And is there any way to kind of ease that pain with either you or your spouse? If one of you has them, what are, what are your tips there? Yeah. So, this is a question I always get, so especially working with a lot of young physicians where they're riddled with student loan debt. And typically, it's a six-figure number, and it's something that's pretty uncomfortable. At the end of the day, it's really a, uh, a two-fold question. One is, I can show you the math behind, do you pay more towards a student loan, or do you pay the minimum amount and invest the difference? And we can come up with a mathematical answer. What I've experienced in my career, though, is it's not that simple. And the reason is, is some people have a higher tolerance for debt, just meaning they're comfortable with their mortgage and their student loan, and they understand debt service. Other people, it's more of a behavioral finance question where I can show them the math and say, look, your student loan debt, you're paying a 3% interest rate. That's some pretty cheap money. If we were to invest the difference, meaning if your student loan payment is 1000 a month and you want to pay two, I can argue that that additional money would be better served invested in a passive income real estate investment or potentially the market or even a low volatility in, um, index fund, right? Where if I can outpace what your student loan debt is, I'm actually do- making a, a better mathematical decision. The reality is, Every, every person's different. Some people say, you know what, the math makes sense. I can tolerate this amount of student loan debt. I understand that I'm going to pay for it for the next 10 or 20 years, and I'm comfortable building my net worth aside from paying down my student loans quicker. And other folks say the exact opposite. They say, Charlie, I don't care that the math looks better if I invest, invest in the market or invest in real estate. I just... I feel uh, suffocated with the student loan debt, and I'd like to pay it off as quickly as possible. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense, but it's totally individual, and you have to kind of take each person or each couple as they come and get their own plan in order. Yeah. All right. So another thing that happens for people around our age is kids. Kids are (laughs) obviously very expensive, and they change pretty much everything about your budget. With that in mind, what's the best way? in your opinion, to plan for having kids, or if you have young kids, what steps should you take to be financially prepared for them? 
Well, I'm sure you guys can echo this answer, but uh, there's no great way to prepare for the change of becoming a parent, right? I think the the best way to go about it is to probably jump back to an earlier question around having a good understanding of where your cash flow is at. Kids are obviously one of the biggest blessings we can have in this in this life, and I would I would never tell someone that you should base having kids on your finances, but the reality is is it they will create stress. They do come with a certain level of cost, and as they get older, they cost more. And so I think having a good understanding of one an emergency fund. If if I was to plan it out again, I may have told clients to have a little bit more in emergency during the pregnancy phase, during the first couple years of, you know, raising a, ch- a child. But on beyond that, you know, just having a good steady income, having a good plan around how to save money for both you and your spouse, as well as for future child expenses is, is probably the best, I guess, jump off point for anybody. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Just, Really, it, it's always amazing to me, and I guess I was the same way, but before we ever had kids, you really kind of underestimate how much money you would actually need to budget because I think I wasn't spending a lot of time, you know, shopping daycares when I was in my single or my early married life. So like when you're oh, looking at, yeah, so when you're looking at like the cost, it is important to kind of get an understanding and it's really going to depend on where you're at where your spouse is at, where you're at, at in your area, uh, about how much that's all going to cost. But I think it is important, like you said, to have that fun sitting out there. What I am curious about is a lot of our listeners might not have young kids, but their kids are getting a little bit older. And as they get older, you said they get more expensive, of course, but then we have to start thinking about college and planning for that. Is there a best way to plan ahead for that to get your kids prepared so when you get to that date, you're not, you're not just wondering, uh, what are we going to do? Yeah, so that's a great question, Brandon. First and foremost, I have student loans. It sounds like you guys have experienced student loans at some point along the way as well. The, the first thing I would tell any client is you can't sacrifice your retirement. You can't sacrifice sacrifice you know, uh, the stability of your overall plan to send your kids to school. We have a tool. It is in the form of student loans. I, I understand that they're getting a bad rap these days, but the reality is it's having a good understanding of what you're sending your, your child to school for, I think is probably the best first step. Do, does it make sense to get a four-year degree? Does it make sense to start at a local school and then maybe move on to a major university? Does a trade school make sense? I think getting a better understanding of why the child is going to school is the first step. From there, you can't finance your retirement. You can finance school. So if it comes down to, do I save the money for myself later on, or do I send my kid to school? I would tell you to keep the money in-house and plan for your own retirement first. On beyond that, if you are going to plan to save for your kid, the sooner the better. Utilizing what's called a 529 plan, which is an investment vehicle that has no deduction up front, but you contribute as much as you want, as long as those dollars are used for education purposes, whether that's private high school, private middle school, college, grad school, or something in between, as long as it's for education purposes, 
the money is tax-free when you take it out. So if you invest $10,000 and it grows to be 20, as long as those dollars are used for educational purposes, all the dollars are tax-free. So I would highly recommend, regardless of what state you're in, to get get an education around your state-sponsored 529 plan. That would be my, my probably blanket recommendation for any parent that was looking for a potential um, savings opportunity for school. Okay. And then one follow-up question to that. If you do the 529 plan, can those cross state lines? You mentioned like for your state. What if our child decides one day that she doesn't want to be in uh, North Carolina or our son decides he's moving to back to Michigan? Yeah, so that's the cool thing with 529s. Each state has a sponsored fund provider, but the funds are recognized nationally. So even though you guys are based in North Carolina, if your child ends up deciding to go to the University of Michigan, those dollars can be utilized in Michigan. Yeah, if they unfortunately, if they decide to go to the University of Michigan, they're going to be disowned as a Michigan State fan. <laughs> I forgot. I totally <laughs> forgot that, Brandon. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. I meant MSU. I meant state. I meant okay, state. Good, good. I just wanted to clarify. So. <laughs> <laughs> right anyway. on. So I want to get a little bit more general here and just switch gears. So if you're starting out and you just have zero clue, I mean zero clue at where to begin in finances, what would you think is the best first step to take? So that's a great question. The first step that I would take is Find someone that has spent time getting educated around financial planning. I think that having a, a good reference or a good referral is, is always a great way to do it. So whether you have friends that are using an advisor or there's a ton of online services that are offering, I guess, quasi-financial planning as well. So any client that comes in, first and foremost, you don't know uh, at what level their education is around how to invest, how to take advantage of the tax code, the different vehicles that are out there and what their purposes are. So really finding a good jump off point uh, is probably going to be the most important thing. Okay. And that kind of leads us right into our next question that we had for you. So that's perfect. We obviously can see by talking to you that there are a lot of reasons to find a financial advisor. When exactly mm-hmm. should that happen in our life? Is it ever too late for someone to jump in? And lastly, and probably most importantly, how do you even find someone you can trust? Those are great questions, Megan. I would say that over the last five to 10 years, the whole financial industry has really been in, in the middle of an overhaul where in years past, financial advisors have been traditionally very transactional just meaning that uh, clients would receive some strategy, some planning, but on the back end, there was always a product or a money management strategy that the advisor was trying to implement with the client because that's how they were compensated. Our firm at Holvick & Associates, first of all, we are typically fee-based or fiduciary-based, meaning our deliverables have nothing to do with product. They have nothing to do with money management. They purely are based around strategy. So as an advisor, first and foremost, I believe that getting clients organized is the first step. Let's understand what you have going on. Let's understand all the moving pieces and what's available to you via your business or via your employer. That's the first step. The second step is 
getting very educated about what you're already doing. If most people have either a 401k retirement plan or a 403b, understanding how to utilize that plan and why to utilize that plan is, is a good second step. And then from there, making sure that you're covering all your bases from a retirement standpoint, from a risk standpoint, just meaning, you know, you pass away early, you can't go to work or you outlive your assets, making sure that if life throws a wrench in your plan, that it doesn't totally destroy the hard work and the hard savings that have gone into it. And then lastly, just having someone that you can have a relationship with on an ongoing basis. So for us, we're typically meeting with clients most certainly on a semi-annual basis and in some cases on a monthly or quarterly basis to make sure that you're updating and regularly reviewing the plan and having a blueprint document to really run your life off of. So I would recommend to all the listeners that when you're searching out a financial advisor, making sure that one, they're offering fiduciary-based advice, which is just a legal term for saying that you can hold yourself to a higher standard and sit on the same side of the table as the client. That would be one my first recommendation. And then from there, making sure that you have a good chemistry and that the conversation isn't being forced would be a you know a secondary piece. Yeah, that's great advice, Charlie, because it, and honestly, that shows in in everything you do and kind of the integrity you bring. Because when I watch your information, when I watch your videos over social you always seem so approachable and that you're like, you're looking in your client's best interest because what I've found from talking to people is there always seems to be that intimidation factor when you're about to talk about finances and you're always going in a little bit uneasy. You're always going in, not really feeling that you know what you're doing and that can be uncomfortable, especially for, for any of us as uh, working people. But how do you personally help people overcome that when they're first coming in and starting out with a plan? Like, how do you put them at ease and how do you move forward with them? Yeah. So what you're describing or what you're talking about, it goes back to the, the last hundred years of how financial advisors have operated with clients where it has been a transactional relationship. And I think that's part of the problem is clients would rely more on their financial advisor if when they called, they didn't feel like they were going to be sold something or told to automatically save more money that the advisor can manage. I, I think that's a, that's a poor way to base this sort of a relationship. It, it needs to be more so as a collaborative relationship. How can I sit on the same side of the table as the client, provide value without having to sell them something? And operating as a fiduciary or but just meaning that I charge very similar to the way a CPA or an attorney would, regardless of the project, regardless of the situation, I'm going to do a service for a certain dollar amount. All of that being very transparent, very early on in the relationship. Now, to be 100% honest, not every client is ready to have that sort of a deep conversation or a deep dive relationship. And that's perfectly fine. There's most certainly enough avenues out there for clients to get a little bit of understanding around how to invest, or you know, uh, we have companies like SelectQuote that will offer insurance that you can buy online. And so our firm has really bought into the fact that 
with all the online presence, with, with the digital age coming in the financial industry, clients have access to money management and they have access to insurance. What they're looking for is access to unbiased strategy and ongoing advice in a non-transactional environment. Gosh, I totally love that. Yes, yes to everything you just said. All right, so (laughs) I do have one other question, and it's about free tools or apps. Now, I know you just said that some people might not be ready, and I also know that some people might just want or need to be in that free aspect right now, or maybe they're just beginning, and so it's just a track your finances type thing right now. Are there any... Mm -hmm free things out there that you would recommend to help people track their finances or get their feet wet so that maybe one day they do jump in and start with the financial advisor? Yeah. So one platform that I guess I I know enough about to be dangerous would be mint.com or there's a couple other aggregate softwares out there that allow clients to upload bank accounts, 401ks, savings, any investment accounts, Essentially, anything that's financially related to the client, they can onboard into this app. And there's a slew of them out there. Mint's just the one that's coming to mind. But I like the idea of people being present in their finances. Uh, We used to give an example that people would spend days, weeks, multiple hours researching plane tickets. But when it came to their own finances, it was like pulling teeth to get them to sit down for 15 minutes and go over their budget or go over their investment strategy. And so I think as advisors, being able to pull the client off the treadmill of life on a regular basis and have a very unbiased conversation is is extremely important. But if you're not ready to work with an advisor, utilizing one of the aggregate softwares out there will at least keep you more involved in your own finances and it'll keep you in front of it on a more regular basis. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, Charlie, it's been, it's been so great talking to you today. I know you've had a lot of value to our audience, but I did want to ask for anyone listening who would like to connect with you or learn just a little bit more about what you do, how can they find you? Absolutely. I appreciate that, Brandon. So uh, we're still in the process of getting all the digital outlets up and running. I do have a YouTube page, Charles Getz Wealth Advisor. We're also doing a podcast as well, Gets What You Want by Charlie Getz. You can also visit our firm website at Holbeck & Associates, which has connections to not only Facebook and LinkedIn, but our YouTube and podcast pages as well. So. I accept questions and inquiries via any platform, any outlet. Really, we want to be here as a resource, whether you're a seasoned vet of working with advisory firms or this is your first conversation. Our firm has about 15 different advisors at with various specialties and various levels of experience. So if you're a young couple and you'd like to be working with a little bit younger of an advisor, we have someone for that. If you're two, two months away from retirement and you'd like to be working with someone that's been in the industry for 40 years, we can provide that as well and anything in between. That is so cool. We are so interested in everything you have to say. We know our listeners will be too. We can't wait to put this content out. We just want to say thank you again for coming on today. Oh, thank you very much for having me, guys. Keep up the great work. I think everything you guys are bringing to topics is extremely important, especially with 
all the craziness we have going on with all the Facebook drama, uh, you know, bringing things back to your roots is extremely important in my mind and keep up the great work. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it, man. All right. Appreciate you guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another show of Fools in Love podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast or follow us over on Facebook at Fools in Love Podcast or hit us up on Instagram. Megan's at This Average Mom and I'm at Brandon Giggling. We'd love to hear from you over there. Talk soon.